Welcome to another episode of Gay at Four, the podcast where I, Chris Lord, your hashtag worst gay, learn to become a better one thanks to the tutelage of my fabulous co-host, Jonathan James. Whether it's learning the lingo, talking with another member of the LGBTQ community, or covering a beloved piece of pop culture, I have a long way to go to becoming a better gay. This week, we're talking all about the controversial 1997 Kevin Smith flick, Chasing Amy. Some in the queer community really hate it and basically just criticize it for being a movie where Ben Affleck turns a lesbian. Others consider it a more nuanced, progressive look at sexuality. And who better to talk about the film than Chasing Amy expert Savannah Rogers. Savannah is an incredibly talented filmmaker who's currently directing a documentary called Chasing Chasing Amy, all about the film's legacy. And they even recorded a TED Talk end of last year all about how Chasing Amy helped save their life. Yeah, that's right. They have a goddamn TED Talk. We discovered each other through our mutual friend and all-around beautiful human being, Maddie Washburn, who suggested Savannah come onto the podcast. And so we made it happen. And what followed was a just delightful, interesting, heartwoman conversation. And also, I think now we're basically best friends, which is really fun. So come ride the rainbow with Savannah, Jonathan, and myself as we talk Chasing Amy. Enjoy. People, for the first time in my life, people are paying attention to what I'm saying. It's well, they amazing. they paying attention to what you're saying. <laughs> well, now they do. You, like, unleash all of your trauma See, on the world See, that makes one of all three of us. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no one should ever listen to what I have to say. Thanks for listening good to my thing, podcast. Good thing you have a podcast. <laughs> Thanks, I have two podcasts. I'm trying to, like, start a podcast. and oh, once we should do it. We should do, like, a crossover episode, because it's called Cheers Queers, Okay. And in every episode we drink and we talk about like queer current events. Oh my God. That's and so fantastic. like our first episode, we're going to talk about pronouns because like I'm gender non com- two of my favorite things. Yes. yes. So you just get shit faced on the podcast and it's amazing. So I'm an expert at that. <laughs> so, so, so Jonathan, you have to explain. Uh, also, do you go by Savannah, Sav? Either. I mean, like my friends call me Sav and I think we're friends now. We are friends so, now at this so point. Okay. Do, too. Yeah. And, uh, do you have a preferred pronoun too? Uh, so I'm gender nonconforming. So that's what I wanted to talk about in the first episode. Well, Here's Queers right. yeah, is like start. Pr- pronouns. Like it's polite. It's definitely polite, and I think better for the world to ask people their pronouns. Yeah. But I dread it because I'm just like trying to exist in the void, man. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's tough because you want to be like nonchalant and not give a shit, but also yeah. like, it matters. Yeah, it, it matters, matters to a ton of people who yeah. are not me. And so like I want to be like considerate. So I always ask people, but I hate getting the question back. It, like it's fine that you ask, but like just in general like it's a thing that happens in our culture now which is like so polite and so considerate but when I first started getting the question, I'm like, what, am I not enough for you? Like, <laughs> to like ask for clarification. And then, and now I'm just like, I'm gender nonconforming. And like, you know, I just, you know, I'm probably like what you would call transmasculine, but I'm okay. also like female. Right. So yeah. like, I'm just, I'm just like so busy that I cannot um, deal with this right now. <laughs> that is my thought. <laughs> That's fine. Cause then you, you do a whole podcast just about. Yeah, just, just talking about that. So, yeah. I mean, you guys, we should do a crossover thing. Oh, I'm that would be so fun. So damn. So, you, Jonathan, you have to explain your other podcast. It's uh, very so, relevant. my other po- podcast is uh, mm-hmm. I do a podcast with my roommate and close friend, um, Bridget. 
called uh, Buzz Down Broadway, and we just get drunk and talk about musicals. Oh my god, that's really all. <laughs> so it's, that's it's a, really that, fun. I want to listen to it. I'm gonna. So as I so I know that the recording is going now. As I yeah. told for the audience, as I told you two when I came in in preparation for this, I did no research because that's I just fine. wanted to get to know you on here. And uh, so like that is that is so my shit. Oh, but like so, I do, like, but I don't. <laughs> But I don't know enough about like Broadway, Broadway. But I love musicals so intensely. Well, when we looked it up, it's like every every podcast on musicals is like the really snobby of like we live in New York. We have this boy from we go court, to every like, chorus one. line, who's, yeah. which is now on, and this actor from like that I know from like being at NYU, and they were all like super fancy. So our like motto wait, it, wait. My question is: Is it snobby to live in New York or just have access <laughs> to the people you want to talk to? <laughs> Canopy boat. Yeah. <laughs> Little calm. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it, it was an important question. <laughs> so our uh, our motto is that we're bringing you Broadway from the cheap seats. I love it. I love how LA is the cheap seats to you, though. Like it, it gets every tour. It gets like well, see, you have famous I, people I'm out here from Chicago. Yeah. So, oh, uh, so you have a great a scene Broadway out there. Snob. You've got like a great scene out there. Oh, it's, a, it's that's where so I saw good. Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I saw because we get all the previews. Yes, so we you had like, the SpongeBob preview, and I was so jealous. Oh my god! I, I saw was. the uh, the uh, the Adams Family one that had uh, Nathan Lane and BB Newworth. What? It was so good. Oh my god! Is it going to like Broadway? Broadway? Uh, it did for a while. I d- it didn't uh, have a very long run. See, I don't know anything. I don't know when things are. I don't know. When this was a long time ago. So I saw so I saw SpongeBob on Broadway. Like it's final week before closing. It's and coming I, here. I'm so excited. Oh my God. It is? That's amazing. So I had just moved to New York uh, in September 2018 and like the next week they were closing. So I had like a very limited window to see this and it's still like the best production design I think I've ever seen in any live theater show. Oh it was gosh. bonkers. I've listened I've heard to some music. It's really good. Yes. Like you don't, like people were like when it, when the concept came out they were like Oh, this will be fine, you know. Oh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird idea. And it was beautiful. I was like, like I was getting choked up. I was like, yes, yeah, SpongeBob, oh. it is the best day ever. Oh, it's amazing. Well, and the, and the funny thing is, I feel like our like our motto kind of pertains to Bridget a little bit more because Bridget yeah. has seen most of them just through like, just like like uh, videotaped performances or like bootlegs as they call yeah. bootlegs or <laughs> com- like really terrible community theater versions of them and stuff like, like, like that. heathers like the uh, illegal heathers oh my god <laughs> oh my god yes that, have you seen heathers i've seen the movie i've never seen okay. the the show so okay so they did a show of heathers on like off broadway and it had barrett wilbert weed and okay. other and other people who are really good, but I can't think of right now because okay. it's been a while. Um, she's she's like in Mean Girls on Broadway. She's really good. Okay, I was trying to actually get in touch with her for a while for this project, and like mm. her her man her management just never got back to me. So I was like, all right, I guess we're not doing this. Um, but like, um, but so it's really it's really good, but it's like mm. shocking because you don't expect to hear like homophobic epithets in like a Broadway play because yeah. you feel like that's like your gay safe space. Yeah, and then it's like it's just like shouting them at you in the first song and i'm just like okay it's cool it's cool it's fine <laughs> it's intense but um so there was this like high school production that did this uh version of heathers before like the book had come out and like you have to like pay for the rights to do it in like high schools yeah. and so there's this thing called illegal heathers where it's this like bootlegged version of the show that like high school kids are performing <laughs> and it's what? hysterical oh my god that's it's amazing. amazing it is 
Because that's such a weird movie. It's such a weird story. It surprisingly works as a musical. I can um, see that. It's got a certain tone that would fit well. Yeah. It's really funny also that Barrett Wilbert Weed went from being in Heathers to being in Mean Girls because there's like that connection there because the brother of the guy that co-wrote Mean Girls, I believe is the guy that directed, uh, oh, oh, that co-wrote Heathers oh. is the guy that directed Mean Girls. Oh, shit. So I there's like, that. And they're very like tonally similar in yeah. my opinion. They're just like made for different eras of like high school kids. Yeah. Very different eras. So, yeah. Anyway, now we're geeking out about Broadway. Oh, I know. We're supposed to talk about how we're supposed to about to talk about how we're bad at being gay, right? I mean, yeah. And that's well, yeah. like the whole conceit More is how that Chris is bad at being gay. Uh, yeah, I, I feel I, I self-describe as the worst gay, but I have a number of friends that will want to challenge me on that front. Yeah. So well, I think after my documentary comes out, people might call me the worst gay. Wait, you've huh. been challenged at like not at like people trying to be worse than you at being Logan. Our friend, our friend Logan's arguably probably a worse gay than I am. Uh, is he like a Trump supporter? Like how no, you how do you get worse? <laughs> no, he's definitely not. Uh, but he just he just kind of skirts past all of like the gay cliches in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, bless his heart for it, though. He's like the sweetest person on the planet. I was mo- more considering it off of like I would make references to certain things, a lot of certain things, mm-hmm. not just like RuPaul's Drag Race. And Chris which I be still like, don't watch. What is that? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to come clean. I have never seen a full episode of RuPaul's That's Drag Race. That's perfectly fine, Thank but you. he is a huge drag fan oh. in general. I've made I mean, two movies about drag. Does that make me a bad gay? They're two short films, to be fair. They're not like feature length. This is awesome. Are, are yeah. they docs or are they narratives? Uh, one's a doc, one's a narrative. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, why well, I was yeah. shocked. I'm so, like, you don't watch it and you love drag. So my final student film was called mm-hmm. Dragtivists, and it's about these two activist drag queens in Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, wow. And it was executive produced by uh, uh, Dave Lacey, who is the executive producer of Paris is Burning. Um, he basically found all the money for that. And Chris yeah. has not seen that yet. No, <laughs> we're going to do an episode See, this is, on this it. This is where it comes in. <laughs> okay, it's fine. Like I feel like I'm catching up too. So yeah. I mean, so you watched the TED talk. So I yeah. was like, so in the closet for the for the audience. I don't know if this is my job to explain this. Like I gave a TED talk on like my my life in Kansas and how the movie Chasing Amy like mm-hmm. just like saved my life. And so for years I was like super repressed in like anything queer culture. And it wasn't until I was like out out for like a full year before I started to like get comfortable yeah. with those and like watching more stuff. Yeah, or like just like I felt like I was like safe finally. Like mm-hmm. nobody was gonna like come at it like left field and like shout a slur at me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so, I, I love that in your TED talk when you make a comment that you only knew of Chasing Amy. It's like the only gay movie. You didn't know there are other gay movies out there. No, man. Like nobody fucking told me. Like, right. I, <laughs> like my mom's best friend was gay. And like there were like ans- you know, ancillary like gay characters in yeah. other movies I had seen or like TV shows where it's like the sassy bitch best friend or something like that. But it wasn't like like a whole thing. Yeah, that's all like, I that's all I knew for the longest time. Yeah. yeah. Spoke was my sort of like discovery that there was like Yeah. gay actual gay stuff stories. Well, and even when I found out there was other gay stuff, I was like afraid to watch it. Like I was afraid that like somebody would like find out and like yeah. ask me questions about it. Like my mom like knew I was queer like my whole life. Apparently mm-hmm. I told her when I was three. It would have been helpful to know that mom. But um <laughs> well, I, didn't I, just say anything. I actually thought that was like that was sort of I think one of my favorite things you said is that there is nothing worse than having everyone know you're gay before you. Cause that was my experience. Yes. Yeah. And not even, not even necessarily in a negative way, but yeah. like, I remember be like 
people being fun of and being like, oh, you're you're gay, you're so gay. And I was just like, why, what have I done where everyone's just like suddenly now on me about this? Yeah, it's like, it's like when people know you're different, they just like attack it yeah. so hard. Whether you're like socially awkward, whether you're queer, whether you're in a minority community that's like, you know, you know, like different than the rest of the folks around you. And they just like fucking pick at yeah, it. Yeah, they'll just go for it, they'll pick at it. 13 and 14 year olds. Years later, I found out that half of those people are now, in fact, gay. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's... Tale is all the time at that point, right? Uh. The, the, the loudest voices are the ones who need to be looking inside a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Gaying it forward since I was 16. Right. But I was, like, not good at being closeted, like, in retrospect. Wait, like, like, how so? Like, uh... <laughs> My friends had like come up with this thing called Tuesday that I was very enthusiastic about. Okay. We're like, what? it was what called Tuesday, where it was like you just acted like super homoerotic the whole day, and I was like, all right, no, this sounds this sounds fun. All not, right, not bad, not bad, fam. Yeah, okay, wait. Who, and all these people, as far as I know, are still straight. Okay, I was gonna say whoever came up with that, have, they weren't homophobic. Yeah, like, but did they, they have a story later on? Like, no, oh, it's just Tuesday. It's like opposite day. Yeah, yeah. like just Tuesday every and like. They're just it, like very there's accepting. no Wednesday. There's no Thursday. It's just Tuesday, Tuesday. which like you know is like a celebrated tradition in my home now. Tuesday, everything. I, I like that actually because I have a theory that Tuesday is the worst day of the week. Really, I would agree with that. Wow, yeah, what's like, your I mean, theory? Because Monday, Mondays obviously always suck because it's the start of things, right? But at least you can like maybe have a little bit of like positively left over from the weekend before, yeah, and then. You know, from Wednesday on, like Wednesday, like, okay, I'm going to start this day and the week is not yet half over, but the end of it, it is. Whereas Tuesday is that horrible day where it's like the week has already started. You feel like you're five days in, but you're only one. And there's so much more room to go before you're done. And it just is And it's the also worst. the day where everyone just decides to actually work. <clears throat> yeah, like no one's getting shit done on Monday. It's yeah. like Tuesday, like, oh, yeah, the thing. Oh, I should get on that now, I, I suppose. I'm going to be a contrarian here. I think Sunday's the worst day of the week. Because you, you have to go to work the next day? Yeah, like, I mean, I mean like I'm working like all the time. I really enjoy what I do. So, yeah. like, you know, I'm like happy to do it. But it's just the anxiety of knowing that your whole life has to pick up yeah. the next day and their obligations. That's very true. You know, there's a little, so when I was a kid, my anxiety was really bad on Sundays because I would mm-hmm. have to go to school the next day. And yeah. so that's like ceased a little bit in my adult life. Mm-hmm. But like when I think about like, uh, I'm going to go to a meeting, got a conference call for yeah. three hours, you know, it's just, it's all the things that, you know, I do, but it's like, I was enjoying not doing any of those things. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. It's like, and it's amazing too that you even recognize that it's that anxiety probably held over from like middle school and high school that still persists to this day. Oh yeah. And it's oh. like, I forget who said it, but they're, they basically had a theory that like when we're like 13, 14, that's us at like our most authentic selves like whatever happens to us then will like have the greatest implications going down the line oh no oh yeah I, a bunch I, of them right so you think that, like it's horrifying but like i think it does kind of hold up like i think a lot yeah. of our insecurities a lot of our mental baggage comes from like whatever we're going through like a right around that time totally but i think the ted talk really did like help me kind of get over a oh lot God, of that i'm sure like you know like the first time i like wrote the talk i was mm-hmm. like this is garbage please don't you know, judge me on this, but I need to have a draft done for today. And it really did not change from the first draft to the final draft that Mm. much, by the way, like the structure is all the same. The meat is all the same from that first draft. But like the first time I read it, like my hands are fucking shaking. I can't like, how did you, so did they approach you for a Ted talk or did you just like, so here's the story. (laughs) Um, so I had this like studio residency in my hometown of, of Kansas city. Mm -hmm. And so I was there and because, you know, like Facebook ads, right? Like they, they read all of your shit. They know all your data. So I typed the word residency a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was also searching for new residencies after this term ended, basically. Um, And so I got a Facebook ad that was like, 
from Adobe that was like, Ted residency, apply. You know, people 13 or people 18 to 24, please apply. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm that age. And uh, I like kind of, but I kind of wrote it off because I was like just fucking around on Facebook. And so the next day it pops up again. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, all right, all right, I'll do it. And so I applied. Yeah. And so it was this initiative through Adobe Project 1324, which somehow no longer exists even like less than a year later. Adobe shut it down, but basically it was an initiative from creators 13 to 24 to like have the opportunity to do these things. So Sundance had a fellowship through it. Um, and Ted had a residency spot through it. And basically Adobe would pay all your bills for you to go to the Ted residency. So I, uh, I applied the day of the deadline. I Mm -hmm. did a one minute iPhone video in my studio being like, hi, I just found out about this. I would have better production value if I had more time, I would have done something creative. But basically I want to give a Ted talk about LGBTQ representation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I attached my director's reel and a still from the last film I did. And I was like, well, I'm not going to hear from them again, but at least I gave it an effort. Yeah. Um, and that was that. And then a month later I got an email saying I was a finalist. And I was like, well, that's surprising because I didn't pitch them a real idea. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just like, I'll talk about gay stuff. Yeah. It's cool. And, um, you know, so I got that email on a Monday. On a Friday, I had my interview, and I was the last person that they interviewed for it. What? And it was, we hit it off immediately. Like, mm-hmm. personalities were vibing. Um, and it was just, it was like the best interview I've ever had, where I was just like talking to three people, Cindy Stivers, uh, Jordan Wright and Katrina Konanen. And, uh, I talked to the three of them and we were vibing and they were like, okay, we see here that you have like a very vague idea for a Ted talk. So, you know, if you had to give a Ted talk tomorrow, what would it be about? And Mm -hmm. so I pitched them my documentary idea about chasing Amy and it's a cultural impact on the LGBTQ community in my life. Yeah. And they were like, wow, we have never heard that before. Uh, this is so weird. And they like kept talking about their connections to chasing Amy, Mm -hmm. you know, Jordan, who was the intern at the time, hadn't seen it, you know, so we were just talking about what the movie meant to me. And they were like, okay, we'll let you know in two weeks. Uh, three days later, I found out I got it. That's amazing. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Pretty incredible. So then what what did you do as part of the residency? Like what did you work on other than the the Ted talk itself? Uh, the documentary man, Mm -hmm. like having Ted's brand and seal of approval behind me, like really allowed it to kick off and, get access to people. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, so I just was researching the documentary and like taking meetings and, Mm -hmm. and getting to know New York and, you know, getting friends and, you know, just really taking advantage of those resources. I miss it so much. We're in LA for context. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You've moved across the coast. Yes. Are you allowed to say who you were able to interview or you save yeah, that for when it yeah. actually premieres or um the big the big person that i got to interview and got to know during my ted residency was bob hawk okay and bob hawk is actually a super influential person in lgbtq filmmaking because mm-hmm. he has been a consultant on like prodigal sons and um i can't remember the name of the harvey milk documentary that won the oscar uh life and times of Har- harvey milk i believe so yes so he was a consultant on that i have it on criterion which choosing <laughs> amy also has been on criterion should, yes criterion. and i the the dvd that i saw as a kid um was the criterion I was impressive. Ask that. <laughs> yes and i still have it i brought it with me to la um just as like it's like you know i just look at it for like inspiration it's like okay this is the thing that started it yeah. and uh yeah, man. But um, I talked to Bob Hawk, who is an extremely influential like uh, producers rep and consultant and uh, you know producer who just makes films better. And he's the oh, guy yeah. that discovered Kevin Smith. 
He's the guy that saw really? Clerks, made a couple oh, of phone wow. calls, and made it possible for Kevin Smith to have a fucking career. Oh my God, that's and amazing. He, and he's an open gay man. He is 81 years old. He lives in New York. He is from New Jersey. And he is probably one of the most incredible people I've ever met. And he was so generous with all of his information. We got to yeah. interview him. And I want to go back and do some more interviews because he's just so interesting. So he was a consultant then on Chasing Amy? Yeah, he was an associate producer. Um, and he actually lived with Kevin Smith during the making of the film. Oh. And what? contrary to popular belief, gay people did work on Chasing Amy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, like, I think, it's Hollywood. Of course they did. Yes. Yeah. You can't escape them. But I, I think that's what I, I wasn't sure what to expect with this. I'd never seen it. I literally just watched it yeah. to do this interview. Did you watch it? I have seen it. And I, I told Chris when he when we were arranging the, this episode, that I was like, that's so strange because like, it had second time I'd heard from um, someone who identified possibly as a lesbian that yeah. it meant a lot to them. Yeah. And I remember watching it and not really getting why mm -hmm. just because of the way it ends. Yeah. So I was like, I was very curious. I'm like, that makes, I'm like, that's great. But it like, you're not the first person that I've heard that from. Yeah. Which I was like really intrigued because it's, it's so primarily uh, queer women that I find tend to like gravitate towards it. I don't find a lot of really, I don't find a lot of queer men that like reference chasing Amy. Even no, though not really. I've, I've met more queer men than queer women who say that they like chasing Amy. And I, I, mean, I, I like really. it. Yeah. I, I'd be, but not like in the way that it really means something to it's, it's really interesting. You say that because the, the majority of people who hate chasing Amy are queer women. No, oh. like that's the backlash is that they saw that and they're like, what the fuck? This is the worst depiction of a lesbian I've ever seen. This is queer erasure. Mm -hmm. And like, so seeing it at age 12 in like the two thousands, it, uh, it, it just had a completely different meaning for me because, oh. you know, and, and it holds different meaning now because this idea of sexuality has progressed beyond these like binary labels of you have to be gay or you have to be a lesbian or you have to be straight. Yeah. It's a lot more fluid now. And, yeah. and that's how I experience sexuality for sure and gender. And so, you know, I find it frustrating when it's like Chasing Amy is portrayed as this black or white thing, though I totally understand why people wouldn't like it. Mm -hmm. You know, Kevin Smith himself has said it's problematic. Use the word problematic. Yeah. And, um, but I think it's an excellent depiction of queer representation. And it certainly was this like hugely impactful thing on my life. Yeah. It, it's so far ahead of its time. And like, I, I didn't know what to expect because yeah. like the only thing I'd basically ever heard about Chasing Amy is like, oh, it's that movie where Ben Affleck turns a lesbian. Yeah. And, and I think anyone who, describes that way it's clearly never watched it because thank you the, the movie like, <laughs> like I basically I, I, I'll be honest I went into this that's like, not where it ends yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I went into it be like you know basically like getting ready to start like finding problematic things about it and basically anytime I thought I'd have a problem the film addressed it and then basically pointed out like no it's fine like because this is actually what's going on like it basically yes. called out its own bullshit all the way through. Yes. And then I mean, I'm, I'm watching this like, oh shit, I'm the Ben Affleck. I'm the guy who thinks, I'm like, oh, I'm like this like enlightened progressive person and I'm probably the one fucking up along the way thinking <laughs> that I actually know what I'm talking about but really I don't. And it just, it calls out its shit all the time. And yeah, uh, yeah and Alyssa in particular is, it's Alyssa, right? Yeah, Alyssa. Okay, I was like, I had a brain God, fart it, it drives me fucking crazy though when people who criticize the movie call Alyssa's character Amy. A, yeah. I'm just like, you did not watch it. And you didn't watch it. You have not watched movie. it recently. You don't know, like it, it blows my mind, but but also the Hooper character. Yeah, I mean he's the he's the moral conscience of the film. So like you know Alyssa's the heroine, but like he's Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, I because I 
was watching it and I wasn't I wasn't sure what to think about that character because certainly his opening scene is very jarring mm-hmm. where he's kind of doing this whole um, kind of like black power act yeah and then he pulls out a gun and I'm like okay it's all it's all weird the tone's odd and they this reveal of like it's all the setup thing yeah and I, I exactly wasn't sure how to feel about that because I think one of my assumptions going into this like well it's still written by like a cis straight white man like totally. how progressive can it really be and it turns like oh actually like really really progressive yes and i think that's due in part to uh bob hawk producing mm-hmm. it and he wa- he saw the first pages of chasing amy come out of the printer when kevin wrote it you oh know he's there from the beginning helping him shape the story and also you have people like guinevere turner you know go fish um, mm-hmm. american psycho legendary queer filmmaker um specifically writer and actress and uh you know she was uh, she at least read drafts. I don't know if she would identify herself as a consultant, mm-hmm. you know, um, but she definitely was there for Kevin because they became friends in 1994 when they both had black and white films uh, at Sundance. Amazing. Clerks, Go Fish. Yeah. And they kind of like were drawn together in that way and became friends. And Guinevere was also partially the inspiration for the movie. People don't know that. Yeah, because I know... I read... actually read that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, I mean, what really is it based off of? Like, it's, where did the idea come from? So, the Chasing Amy is based off of uh, primarily his relationship with Joey Lauren Adams, because mm-hmm. Kevin and her dated. They, yeah. like, lived together. You know, they dated. And essentially, like, you know, Kevin felt insecure compared to Joey. Joey had lived a whole life pretty much before him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Kevin had never really left New Jersey. That's the, that's the you know, the short version of it. Okay. And then it was also partially inspired by Scott Mosier, Kevin's producer, having a crush on Guinevere Turner. Mm-hmm. And that was just never going to fucking happen. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and, and Kevin, I think, wanted to write something that had a deeper meaning. You know, after Mallrats, you know, was a, you know, was not a financial success. You know, $5 million budget did not recoup those funds mm-hmm. uh, for years, I don't think. Um he he ha- was in a position where people were thinking that he needed a comeback. And so he told this really personal story. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when people say that Chasing Amy is not authentic to Kevin Smith because so much of his life is in I mean, Chasing Amy. it feels like it. Yeah, I mean, it feels like his most authentic film. It, I certainly think so. But people are like, you know, Kevin made this joke. I was telling, I was telling Chris that I actually like it a lot better than Clerks. Yeah. Like, a I, lot better. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly my favorite, but, you know, obviously I have a history with it. But Kevin made this joke that one time that was like, you know, people ask me when I'm going to direct a sci-fi film, but if you ask lesbians, Chasing Amy's a sci-fi film. <laughs> 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 Which, you know, is, is funny, but I don't really think it's true. I think it's probably... It's the only time I have ever seen myself on screen. It is the only time. And it's not even in one character. It's like Mm -hmm. the combination of these characters coming together. That's how I feel seen by this movie. I feel understood by this movie. And no matter how many other great LGBTQ films come out, like I'm not, it's not the same for me. Yeah, because the whole movie is about defying that idea of a definition. They have that great conversation on the mm-hmm. swings where mm-hmm. he's like, well, that's the standard definition. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to break that definition down. Yeah. I, like, I mean, and I know that, uh, you know, when Kevin Smith was starting out, like his kind of contemporaries were guys like Richard Linklater and um, Spike Lee, Spike Lee, like yeah. Quentin Tarantino, like all these guys are known for their, their like dialogue movies. Mm-hmm. And this era of film where it's all about these like really just long conversations. Yeah. And I was watching this movie and I kept thinking about uh, Linklater's before trilogy. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of that's happening here. Just people having these really in-depth conversations. And, you know, the Kevin Smith I know would be like clerks too. And they're just like shitting all over the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so it was really cool to see him take yeah. that same sort of sense. Like, oh, we're going to have like that really nerdy conversation, 
but that nerdy conversation is going to be about gender and sexuality and sexual identity yeah. and sexual history and like slut shaming and all these sort of things that are now you know very much in the conversation and they were mm-hmm. not part of the conversation no. when it was made and it's just like shocking. It's to totally me. ahead of its time. And when I make you know when I make this argument to people who saw it in the '90s, they're like, "I'm gonna rewatch it." But a lot of times, you know, people who experienced you know Chasing Amy in 1997 when it came out they don't feel as though it's that progressive necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, they still are like, I still have these associations with it. But, you know, I started the Chasing Amy documentary with the premise of, well, maybe my generation feels differently about this movie. Okay. And, but the, the the hard thing was, is that I fi- the hard thing I figured out pretty immediately was even anecdotally, I couldn't prove it because not enough people had seen Chasing Amy yeah. who were our age, you know? Um, and so now when I get people to watch it, they're like, I get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Like, I see myself in this character. My friend, Sal, who I just worked with on a short film, you know, he was, he's a, he's a, he's like younger than me, I think, you know, he's in his twenties, early twenties. And, uh, you know, he's a gay Latinx man Mm -hmm. and, or Latinx. I don't know how my girl, my fiance is from Mexico city and says Latinx, but I've also heard Latinx, but, um, you know, so he identifies as gay and, you know, but he's like, it's weird to see myself represented so clearly in this little blonde woman. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, but that's the power of like having like this really nuanced conversation and people who watch it now, you know, they're like, they watch the trailer and they're like, what the fuck is this? Why would you try right. to make me watch this? And then they see it and they're like, wow, that was nothing like what the marketing implied. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I get why you love it. Well, and I think, I think to some degree, the social conversation, um, um, the LGBT community has changed and like sort mm-hmm. of our representations and stuff. So I feel like, um, and I, cause I was just, I was listening to for whatever reason, a silence of the land podcast today. I mean, is anyone yeah. surprised? Wait, is it a whole podcast on <laughs> silence of the um, land? It's, it's actually, it's, uh, Paul Freer or Shears, Paul Shears, other, um, podcast. Oh, Paul, yeah. Paul oh yeah. Shear, yeah. Um, yeah, who he does? How does it? Uh, mm-hmm. how, how does this get made? made? And yeah. he does this other one now called Unspooled, where they're going through AFI's um, hundred oh, movies. Oh, okay. So yeah. That's a pretty, pretty not bad. That's cool. Um, it's a, a sharp turn for him doing good movies rather than yeah. And so the uh, <laughs> random shit they usually watch. they did one on Sounds of Lamb, and I rewatched it this weekend just because I felt like it. And they would talk about the how it being problematic coming out in the '90s. People saw it problematic with the way. Uh, Buffalo Bill is perceived mm-hmm, as because mm-hmm. they, you know, there was this weird line that they were like, "Well, is is he trans? Are you saying all trans people are like mm-hmm. psychotic and blah blah blah? Or mm-hmm. is he gay? And are you saying that?" And so, but nowadays, I feel like even when you bring that up, that's not even a conversation you have about that movie. I feel like that's the like majority of conversations I end up having about that movie with right. LGBTQ people, mm-hmm. and like I totally get it. Like, yeah. but I also. It, the, to me, that character does not feel like it's indicative of all yeah. trans people or gay people or anything. You like, but I do think it's you know, I do. I think it's very indicative of the time in which it was made, where those yeah. feelings were not considered. Yeah. And so I, I, I do, and that's what kind of how I feel about chasing Amy is like. Yeah, I feel like when that came out, there were a lot of characters that were being perceived like that in like trans or uh lgbt characters that were being perceived as like villains mm-hmm. um in a way and that become came problematic and now that we've kind of hopefully moved past that a little bit and getting more representation and stuff like that i feel like that that they can be kind of seen through different lenses and maybe that's how chasing amy is it's just at the yeah. time in the 90s 
you know, I was reading an article about how, um, you know, I don't know if this is still a conversation because, you know, the amount of time I spend with straight men is next to none. Minimal. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, like there was a whole thing talking about like how one of the pros about like people liked about Chasing Amy is that it proved the whole like straight men being like, well, maybe if she just got some dick, she'd be straight like kind of thing. But if they're making that argument, also they haven't seen the movie. Yeah, for for real. I mean, like, I mean, she... This is what drives me crazy is that the, a lot of the critics of the movie fail to listen to the actual character. Yeah. They fail to listen to Alyssa because there's a whole monologue on why me, yeah. why Holden. And she she basically describes her sexuality in the way that I think a lot of people describe bisexuality, pansexuality, where it's like, listen, I was seeking out this one thing and then you came along and we had this like really intense emotional connection. And now I feel very justified lying here in your arms. So that's like a direct quote. Yeah. No, cause I, I wrote down some quotes that I thought were really impactful and yeah. two of them were, yeah, I came to this on my own terms, Yeah, which is hugely important. And then yeah, not limit the likelihood of finding that one person that mm-hmm. she's just so open-minded. It's like, well, this is what makes sense to me now. This is what feels right. Yeah. Not to say that what was happening before didn't, but like, that's just how it is now. And mm-hmm. I feel like, It's interesting you said that a lot of people of our generation haven't seen the movie because I think in some ways we have an advantage watching it, Mm -hmm. which is that we got. There's also not a lot of access with it, which is what it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Is it on Netflix? It's on Netflix Netflix, right now. Like thank God, it helps a lot. Like and if you haven't watched it, but it was the whole thing on YouTube. It's it's (laughs) it's like. It's, it comes on Netflix, comes off Netflix, oh, basically. Yeah, sure it was like, like it went from Netflix to Hulu for a bit. Yeah. Um, but it just jumps around. Yeah. But, and uh, if you're listening, you haven't watched this, one, I mean, thank you for listening, even though you haven't watched it, but go watch it. Like, it's <laughs> yeah, incredible. Yeah. Like, I feel like the advantage we have is that we now have so much representation on screen that the fact that she is a genuinely sexually fluid character is so impactful. And I can mm-hmm. totally see that if you were watching it when it came out, you yeah. didn't have a lot of lesbians on screen. So all of a sudden we finally get one and then she's not a pure lesbian. I can see it yeah. be frustrating. Whereas now we're like, oh, this actually does feel different to what we're used to. And I totally get that. But there's this perceived pecking order that Chasing Amy subverted, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, white gays get representation first. Oh, then we'll give it to the yeah. white lesbians, basically. And uh, that's like a fucked up way to think about it. But I think that's like an unconscious bias that we feel like... You know, like, oh, certain people get representation first and then it comes down to the rest of us, right? And I think that the fact that it subverted this pecking order in a time where there was virtually no lesbian representation on screen, it was really aggravating to people because it's like, I was hoping for this one thing and then Mm -hmm. you, like, took it away. Did Boys Don't Cry come out after this? Yeah. I believe so. Okay. I think, yeah. I think it was 99. That sounds right. Um, I can double check. We've got face. We've got the internet right here. The internet. Um, but but yeah, but you know, it, it also failed to recognize that somebody else was being represented there too. Yeah. And because you know, there was a. I think from anecdotally from people I've talked to, whether it be like academics, historians, um, or you know, people who were just queer in the '90s, there was a lot of biphobia at mm-hmm. the time where you felt like you couldn't necessarily identify as bisexual because people just assumed you were on your way to deciding if yeah. you were gay or straight. I feel like that's something that even now that's isn't still super accepted. Now, yeah, it's yeah. totally still problematic. Yeah, I mean, like I, I have experienced that. I've seen that where it's just like, oh, yeah. you clearly like, yo, so you're gay. And it's easy to fit into that mold. That's easier. Like, you know, for example, I self-describe as like a Kinsey five. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, I'm pretty much gay, but like that doesn't mean I don't find some women attractive and I'm mm-hmm. not, what? See, no, even I'm, that, even that look right I there. I wasn't judging you. I was thinking I'm a, I have, I've taken that test. I am 
a seven. I'm <laughs> 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 sure, I'm sure you are. You broke the Kinsey scale. But you know, it's like even if I try and like have that conversation with a lot of gays, they're just like, oh, sure. Do you identify as bisexual? Not really. I still more or less identify as gay because that, that just, makes sense. That just like more fits. Um, I mean, also, I meet a lot of gay men who who talk like who basically say what you're saying, yeah. and you know that's super valid. Like, you know, but I mean, I can see also why you identify with Alyssa because you're not going to close off that part of yourself oh, no. despite your identity. You know, my my fiance, she is very much a lesbian. Mm-hmm. I do not fit into like the kind of women that she is attracted to. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even call myself a woman at this point, you know? Like, I'm very, like, I would call myself, like, transmasculine, I guess, mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, I'm very mask. And, uh, but she still identifies as a lesbian. That yeah. doesn't change her. You know, you just find the label that best describes you. And if, you know, you find a love that maybe subverts that, like, it's fine. You don't have to, like, have a fucking identity crisis over it. Right. And I love that Alyssa doesn't. No, it, I mean, she stands her ground the entire movie. She's like, I, I know who I am. And I know who I am because I've gone through all of this shit. I have all this experience. Yeah. And she basically acknowledged like, yeah, it wasn't all good necessarily, but she takes something good from it. I love the line when, she, you know, uh, Ben Affleck's character space, like, oh, they used you. She's like, no, I used them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, again, she's asserting like, no, she had power in that situation. She mm-hmm. had power over it then. She has power over it now. It's like, that's, that's amazing. I feel like we don't get conversations like that even now in modern film. Yeah. I mean, I would argue it's, I mean, so somebody I, I interviewed for, um, chasing, chasing Amy argued that, you know, um, that Alyssa falls into misogynist tropes. And my genuine question was how? Yeah. Like how? I, I cannot think of a more quote empowered woman by today's standards. Right. Like, I mean, I, I think, I feel like because it's through Ben Affleck's POV, it yeah. com- comes from that very like woke bro kind of thing. Uh-huh. And you get, and you see the kind of like, yeah. um, fragile, like white heteroness of him. And mm-hmm. you also see like the sort of like hidden misogyny yeah, in yeah. between that. And I always found that incredibly, um, weirdly insightful about this movie. That's a, that's a really great perspective. You know, it's not one that I had considered a lot or it, really that people bring up to me very much. So mm. that's that's really cool. Well, because when I re-watched it, I was like, I feel like I'm like playing these other conversations I've had with like straight white friends about like them being woke and like being okay with people being gay and just like the stuff that they like kind of spout at being like wanting to be that kind of like inclusive, but they still cannot kind of conceive of their sort of place mm-hmm. in that like pro- and being problematic yeah it's funny what, what you just said it just like i'm like oh holden would be a bernie bro today right like oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god yeah, yeah. he's the bernie's bernie bro and then like possible. I, and then uh like i actually really identify with jason lee's character but only because really here's why okay is because i was definitely that kid in like junior high and high school where when i was like closeted i would get really 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 upset at my very close male friends that would end up having girlfriends and then the time would end up getting split. And mm-hmm. so I wouldn't know how to process it because of Fuck. me being gay. Yeah. That like, I didn't realize it was me having an, like an emotional attraction to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought I was just like, Oh, well maybe I like the same girl too or stuff like that. And so that those wires get crossed. So I really weirdly related to that when yeah. I saw this movie for the first time, I was like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> I've been that guy. <laughs> See, I mean, and so like, and something, and by the way, nobody has to like this movie. Nobody has to like this no. movie. That's not what my intention is with this documentary. It's mm-hmm. just exploring 
why do people not like it? But what I, another reason that I love this movie so much is it really takes three queer characters and like from different parts of the community and really represents them. You know, you've got, you know, the maybe closeted queer guy with, you know, Banky, somebody who's internalized homophobia so much he cannot Mm -hmm. accept this part of himself until he finally does. Right. And then you've got Hooper, you know, the minority of the minority, as Mm -hmm. he says, you know, people, somebody dealing with like so much marginalization, he can't even be himself to sell a fucking comic book, Yeah. you know? And then you have Alyssa, you know, this very sexually fluid woman who doesn't really take any shit from anyone, especially not her stupid boyfriend, Holden, <laughs> you know? Who, bless his heart, bless his heart. stupid through a lot of it. Yeah, and like, I identify with Holden too. I have these mm-hmm. very intense romantic feelings, you know? And I had them when I saw it and I was like, oh, this is beautiful. Like, you know, and so you see yourself through Holden typically the first time you see it. Yeah. And then after the, every other viewing, you can start seeing yourself through other characters that I found at least because I've watched it enough. It, it's kind of like incredibly modern and relevant in that sort of sense. I think Jonathan had a good point where it's like, it is still told from the perspective of the straight white cis male. And I think if you just describe it as such, you would dismiss it. But mm-hmm. by doing that, it does give this very particular window. Cause he kind of reminds me of like the, like the nice guy misogynist, like the nice guy homophobe yep. who like sees himself as enlightened yeah. and is going to call out his friend when the friend makes, you know, homophobic jabbed, but in his own way is still perpetuating misogyny and homophobia, but in this weird kind of like undercurrent sort of thing. And if you yeah. were to call him out on it, he would probably get defensive about it. Mm-hmm. Be like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm enlightened. I'm beyond that. And it's not true at all. And so you had an interesting point about, um, Jason Lee's character. So you, mm-hmm. You say that by the end, he seems to resolve that. A little bit. I mean, you know, whether or not... I I leave that up to every audience to decide Mm -hmm. whether or not he's gay or not. At the very least, this is what's very clear in the film. He has to deal with the fact that his essentially life partner Mm -hmm. for the last 20 years now has divided attention. Yeah. And it is a queer woman, which I think he especially resents. Mm -hmm. She is everything that maybe he can't be. Essentially, you know, she lives her life yeah. fucking openly. And Banky is this kind of repressed comic book anchor from uh, New Jersey, right? He's a fucking tracer and he knows it. He's a fucking tracer and he knows it. And also, like, that status quo with Holden, whether it's his business partnership, his friendship, mm-hmm. you know, roommate situation, you know, life partner status, is being threatened by this woman who he deems unattainable for Holden, and then he fucking, and then Holden fucking gets with her. And it gets worse for him the whole time. But I think he is, you know, at the very least, feeling some kind of homoeroticism for Holden. Yeah. Whether or not he'll ever feel that again for another man, I don't know. You know? Who knows? Yeah. Because that's something that I found interesting about that character, because I, what that reminded me of is just that sense of, I guess you'd call it loss when a really close friend all of a sudden has divided attention. Yes. And you know, it, it could oftentimes it can exclude any romantic feeling, but it's still, this person is important in your life. Mm -hmm. And so then to see them slip away in some capacity, it, it hurts. You feel lessened, you feel diminished. Mm -hmm. And I just like that. That was a very universal idea. Mm -hmm. And so I was even kind of on the fence when Ben Affleck, I'm just going to call them by their, actor names whatever it's, it's easier for me to remember yeah, but yeah yeah whatever when you know ben affleck kind of calls him out and it's like you need to figure that out for yourself and i was like oh like i don't know how i feel about that because he's basically like telling someone to their face you're gay you need to accept it and it definitely didn't feel mean it was really well-intentioned and sincere yeah, yeah. and i was like oh maybe that uh, is 
slightly problematic. Probably. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, I thought, but I mean, that also, it's, I mean, not problematic in terms of the movie. It's problematic for that person to do that thing. Totally. I mean, you know, I mean, essentially, I think Holden is saying what everyone in the room knows yeah. is that Banky's got a fucking crush mm-hmm. at the very least and has been unable to deal with it, whether it's a friend crush, whether it's romantic, he has not been able to deal with the circumstances of this. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I think, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily problematic, you know, mm. but I can see if I've been friends with someone for 20 years and they start acting real bitchy when I get a partner, yeah. I'll be like, you well, gotta figure... when they like, yeah. they work together and their entire... Yeah, their whole lives Their are tied entire together. day and their entire life is like... Yeah. Them. But like, figure your own shit out, man. This is not my problem. I love you. I give you attention. Mm. And I think Holden gives Banky appropriate attention. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> They're would say. still yeah. roommates. They still hang out. They still work together. You know, but I think it's Banky's insecurity that really comes into play. Yeah. And no, it's it's just a really interesting dynamic. And I also love, too, that Ben Affleck's resolution to this whole problem is like, we're going to have a threesome. And not even asking anybody else. And that's yeah. really where it goes wrong. Have you guys, by chance, seen uh, the Black Mirror episode, Striking Vipers, yet? Is it one of the no. new... It's the new it's season. It's one of the so new ones. It's, the, it's yeah. the one with Anthony Mackie. Okay. And so people started, like, kind of like oh, it's tweeting the, like, it's the video games making yes. gay one. Oh, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, ba- so <laughs> watch, I, I encourage people to watch that and watch Chasing Amy. People like started like tweeting at me or like messaging me or telling me like, mm-hmm. Hey, you should watch Striking Vipers. And so I did. And I was like, Oh, there's some, there's some parallels here with the, with the ending resolution of the episode. Yeah. And basically not to spoil it, but mm-hmm. there's a difference between when you communicate with your partner, partners mm-hmm. versus not. Um, okay. And Holden does not bother to ask Alyssa yep. or Banky if he if they're interested. He's like, we're gonna do this, and this will solve all of our problems. And from there, like you know, he just he betrays Alyssa's trust so hard that there's no going back. You can't just say that and like go back. Yeah, I mean, it, I thought that was such a genius thing to have them do in that scene because that just feels like a very male solution to that problem. Totally. Of like, oh, like, we all have this, like, pent-up sexual energy of sorts, and also, like, I need to experience this for us to move on, so this is something you have to do. Mm-hmm. And he even tells you, like, you know I need this. And I was like, dude, like... He he was so in the clear. He was so yeah, in the clear right? until Ugh. that moment. She probably could have forgiven him until he said, you know I need this. Yeah, because he made it all about himself and mm-hmm. I, I think that's actually why he works so great as a protagonist in the situation because he we have to learn our moral lessons of this whole thing through him mm-hmm. like everyone else knows what they're doing is pretty like self-confident they yeah. wear their struggles on their sleeve but they are accepting of it you know and to yeah. some degree less so with jason lee but he's the one that has to learn something and like he is the perfect audience proxy for that because it's yeah. guys like holden who probably need to learn that lesson the most yeah and honestly, like, you know, I was ta- so for the documentary, I was, I was chatting with Joey Lauren Adams, who plays Alyssa. Mm-hmm. And Joey was telling me, like, listen, I've had women come up to me for years at conventions saying, like, my boyfriend learned to treat me better after this movie. Oh, my God. You know, like, that's fucking impactful. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's, this has a wider impact than we think. And so, like, you know, I think the implications of, like, Holden being the protagonist, you know, Maybe queer people hate it, but I think it also reaches a whole different demographic. It's not about us. Yeah. It feels very necessary to get the point across. Yeah, man. I mean, and like, 
I mean, like people complain that Alyssa is not the person who the POV is. It's not from her POV. Mm-hmm. Alyssa's got her shit figured out. Yeah. Alyssa would have to be a lot messier yeah, she of a character. To learn. Yeah, she yeah. she she's been learned. <laughs> she yeah, she got she it. <laughs> um, she did all this growth off camera. Yeah, you know, her story would have started when she was in high school or college. You know, going through all of her you know sexual exploration, which is probably a worthy movie in and of itself. But that's mm-hmm. not the one we have. And so, there's this complaint that it's through Holden's POV, but it's like. Not every, I don't think every LGBTQ story needs to be from the perspective of an LGBTQ person necessarily. No. Like, that matters. We definitely need those movies. But I think this is effective, and it shows that all the queer people have their shit figured out except for Banky, and this guy has a lot of learning to do, and he has to learn a lot about himself and how to treat people better. One, you know, like, there is just, obviously, like, it helps to, obviously, as you just said, like, educate straight people. About, well, and that's kind of even even not straight people, but even just like men or uh-huh. even women at that, that matter, like just putting, putting it through the point of view of a pro like a problematic character is both interesting and it gives, it gives the movie a lot to work with. Well, and also like Kevin Smith knows his own experiences. Mm-hmm. This movie would be fucking terrible if he tried to like yeah. p- tried to like pretend right like he had like the whole LGBTQ experience figured out. He, you know, I'm sure that, you know, in the process like he's learning as much as Holden is yeah. of making this story. Yeah. You know, and I think it's really authentic in that way. I don't ever want a director to do anything that's not authentic to them. I don't ask any director, you know, I want people to be more inclusive and to do that, you know, and to you know, push themselves and get outside the box. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what Kevin did here, man. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean that like it's, it was probably something really uncomfortable to write too. I mean, well, I mean like he's writing all of the, like the issues he's having with Joey Lauren Adams into the script yeah. sans gay stuff. You know what I mean? Um, has he, has he talked about like who he was commenting on, on this? Because no, it, it feels like this movie has to exist in this time period yeah. because it's really commenting on like passive aggressive forms of homophobia yeah. that obviously still exist to this day, but they were so entrenched in culture back yeah. then. It's like the go-to insult was like, Oh, that's so gay. Yeah. And it wasn't a deliberately homophobic thing. That was just the way things were. And I feel like you couldn't really transport the story to now. So I was curious if he's talked about specific things he picked up in the culture at that time that he really I'll, wanted to I'll talk ask about. him about it. I mean, so... Please do. I really want to know. Like, it's, so, it's fascinating to So me. I've yet to do like my big, big sit-down interview with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done the thing where I like I met him in person. We filmed that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've never done like a feature document. I don't know how much I'm allowed to like say about my movie, but I, I guess I'm the director. But I mean, yeah. like... But um, no, we haven't done like the big sit-down interview with him, but he is very... He's been so fucking generous. I mean, he mm-hmm. saw the TED Talk within an hour of it coming out and was oh. like, let me help you. Like, I will... Like, let's fucking do this. Oh, and great. it's super nice. So um, I'll definitely ask him, like, was this a conscious thing? But my inclination... Um, is to say probably not. Like, mm-hmm. it's probably more about, like, the personal, you know, thing between, you know, about relationships yeah. as opposed to necessarily, like, making a social comment. You know, you look at Kevin's films, they're not social comments for the most part, except, mm-hmm. like, maybe Chasing Amy in Red State. Yeah. And, maybe, def- and Dogma. I'll give it Dogma. Maybe, maybe, yeah. it's, maybe it's just aged that way. Maybe it's just aged I think something. it totally no, yeah, has. That's a good point, yeah. I think a lot of the brilliance of it comes from Kevin, and I think a lot of the brilliance has come from, like, the cultural situation that we're in yeah. and the way that we receive sexuality and the way that, uh, you know, um, how it just kind of, maybe even accidentally um, hit on all of these beautiful things. I don't know. 
Now, I was super, super impressed with it. And I think one of the things that makes it work so well is it has these other universal ideas in there. It's like mm-hmm. talking about the feeling of loss when someone starts dating someone else, but even just that sense of unrequited love. Oh, yeah. And everyone has experienced that at some time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's an easy pot shot at the movie to be like, oh, well, but he gets the girl in it. Well, obviously, again, if you've watched it, you know in the end. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a movie. Yeah. And yeah, in real life, most of the time, that's not where the story would go. Most of the time, the story would end right there in that conversation in the rain outside of the car. But we're, t- we're still making a movie. We still have to have an interesting story here to tell. And this becomes so much more interesting when she, you know, responds back in kind. And she says, I love you too. And everything that happens after that. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of movies go there. I think what it is is remarkably honest about love and loss and relationships, about, you know, the queer people that I know at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, I think we we really touched on this loss. I mean, there is monumentous loss in this movie, yeah. whether it's friendships, relationships, careers, mm-hmm. like Holden doesn't have much except his new found knowledge at the end. Yeah. Like that's it. Also, maybe you can help me understand too. I was a little bit lost. The, the kind of final scene between Holden and Banky, because it's all done kind of like sort of like hand gestures and nods and yeah, stuff. Yeah, they do I, the shared moment uh, yeah. thing where he brings his two index fingers together. Yeah, so what were they... I was a little bit lost, to be honest. Like, what were they saying there? Like, what were they communicating to each other? Uh, basically, the the whole scene communicates um, that uh, they're seeing each other for the first time in a long time. Banky's happy to see him. Holden's happy to see him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he holds up the comic book, you know. Oh, yeah, like, good job. And, yeah, 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 like, good job, loved it. And then, like, hey, Alyssa's over there. Are you going to go talk to her? And he's oh, like, yes. Oh, okay. In the shared moment. And he, like, points in that direction. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. the, that's the part that I Yes, yes, yes. Like, it's a lot easier if there was a visual again? component to this podcast. But if you've seen it, it's, like, basically <laughs> earlier in the movie, um, Ben Affleck, Holden, play, you know, he's, like, we had a shared moment. And he brings his, like, two index fingers together. Mm-hmm. And that's what is uh, echoed in that last moment with Holden and Banky. Oh, that's right. Okay, I forgot yes. about that. I was like, I was... I've seen this movie, like as much as more than anyone should see it. I know more, I know as much about this movie as you can mm-hmm. without having like been there. Okay. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's stupid how much, it's so much useless knowledge, but I guess it's not useless now. Cause I get to make a movie. Right, no, it's perfect. You actually have a little venue, multiple venues now to talk about. Like, I mean, what are some of the interesting things you've learned about it? Subsequently, like what are some of the like since the TED Talk came out, or, or I mean, since the TED Talk, or just as you've been doing the research and building up the doc, like again, don't say anything you want to say for yeah, the documentary because yeah. obviously um, I want people to see it. But like, what's yeah. some of the stuff you've you picked up on that was super interesting or exciting? Oh man, I mean, when the first time I found out that queer people worked on the movie, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not crazy. This is authentic, right, yeah, you know, this like is why it has authenticity to yeah, it. Yeah, um, and the fact that uh, so Shannon Keating for BuzzFeed did this did this article. Um, for the 20th anniversary of Chasing Amy a few years ago, where Guinevere mm. Turner basically said, I thought lesbians would hate it way more. <laughs> they still hated it, but I thought I would hate it more. I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, well, The other thing is I've found that like gays can find something problematic with any queer film. Yeah. I mean, I like nothing's, nothing's really perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like nothing's perfect and nor should it be. I mean, life is not perfect. Yeah. Movies are not... You know, it, it, I, I don't think depiction is necessarily endorsement of even problematic behavior. I don't think Holden's behavior is endorsed oh, no. in this no. movie because he doesn't get the girl. He doesn't 
win. He loses his best friend. He loses his career. He starts over with the Chasing Amy comic book at the end, and that's really what it is. Yeah. Um, so I don't think depiction is necessarily endorsement. Yeah. I think that's an interesting conversation we're having about representation. No, I mean, I, it's, I feel like every time... Um, something with queer representation comes out, there's always the camp that's like, well, I don't like it because it's not realistic or it's not accurately representative and stuff like that. And there's always the other camp as well. So it's like, it's always very interesting how divisive um, queer entertainment can be sometimes. So, okay. So here's the thing. Mm -hmm. Like as of this moment, the you need to calm down music video from Taylor Swift came out. Oh, I haven't it, watched it yet. Okay. I but I've, but I'm I've, curious, seen the, yeah. I've seen GIFs. Okay. And so I've, I've listened to the song. Yeah. Okay. I, I know the song. So she specific. So here's my thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whether Taylor Swift is bisexual or not or whatever, if this is a month long, like coming out campaign, I don't know. Um, we'll have to ask JK Rowling. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. She, she, will, she will send out an email soon that will tell us all. But I mean, like there's a segment of queer people who are pissed at this music video. And by the way, in this music video, Taylor Swift has brought together a ton of LGBTQ people, you know, Laverne Cox, mm-hmm. uh, the, the fab five from uh, queer eye, Todd recall, who is a co-executive producer on the music video with her, you know, who helped really shape it. Yeah. And I'm just like, what does Taylor Swift have to do to get anyone's approval in this community? Because mm-hmm. she hired queer people to be in the music video. She gave them a platform. She shouted them all out on Twitter. You know, she's like the queen of social media, you know, she's she probably, donating the funds from it. Yeah. Like to like, she's fundraising for glad. She like trying to get people to support the equality act. She's trying to use her platform finally to do something political after years of bitching how she was apolitical. Yeah. And I'm just like, what does she have to do? People were like, there's this onion article that was admittedly funny, but I'm just like, you're missing the point. And the whole thing was like, uh, Taylor Swift puts herself at the center of uh, Pride Month uh, with her new music video. It was, it was like, a, it was yeah. a comedic take on it. Yeah. Um, it was way funnier than I just said it, but it was, re- it's genuinely funny. But I'm also like, what does she have to do to like? I mean, like, I don't see a bunch of other pop stars doing this shit for our community. Yeah. Like how? So I mean, I mean there's Katie always Perry an issue. Tried and failed really hard. Well, and then <laughs> and then Katy Perry's in the music video too, and you yeah. know, and then people are pissed. It's like, oh, so you centered your narrative with Katy Perry, like your feud with Katy Perry at the center of this, and I'm like, that's not. I don't think that's the point at all. People reading into it, trying to start drama. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think you got to look at a lot of the stuff. What's the intent there? Is yeah. it sincere? Is it trying to help? And yeah. you know, the reality is, is that there is no queer artist that has the same exposure as Taylor Swift. And she includes like people like Haley Kiyoko in her fucking music video to help give them exposure. You yeah. know what I mean? And like, it's fucked up that no queer artist has that same level of visibility. Yeah. But like, what she did was like a bunch of kids who are probably closeted are going to see that music video and see something that celebrates queer and trans people. And well, I think a that's valuable. generation that's obsessed with her too. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure that it'll, she'll change minds from, you know, kids that are raised in very homophobic homes and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, it's like you see Taylor Swift doing, it's like, okay, I feel a little better about this. Even yeah. if my family doesn't support me supporting queer people or doesn't support me being gay or trans or anything like that. But Taylor Swift has my back. Yeah. Like it that's a normal, that's valuable. Yeah. That's like, really valuable. Exactly. It, you, someone watching that goes like, Oh, this is now a normal thing. And like, I, I'm not the biggest Taylor Swift fan. And nor should you have to be. Yeah, exactly. And like, I'm actually oftentimes called out by a lot of gays for that exact thing. And, <laughs> and I, I've always been I one to kind of, on that one. Yeah. I'm like a 
mild fan to say the yeah. least. I, li- I like her. I like her music. I, I think I need to give it more of a shot. I've had a few people, like my friend Jason, who's like, you got to listen to it. You got to listen to it. If and you I like, like Lord or like Bleachers or Jack Antonoff's work mm-hmm. or like Carly Rae Jepsen, I don't see why you wouldn't like the current iteration of Taylor Swift stuff. No, I'm sure I probably would actually like her stuff if I listened to it. I'm also, I'm not good with contemporary music. I, <laughs> I, I spend my days listening to film scores because I can't listen to lyrics while I'm working. Oh, so you're, I'm just, you're I, a I, fucking I, nerd. I'm one of those like hardcore nerds. I love it. But like, you know, I've always kind of questioned her sincerity a little bit and regardless yeah. of, like outside of that at the end of the day oh, she is <laughs> we accidentally <laughs> held hands on the couch <laughs> but you know she is putting queer people and queer stories at the forefront of things yes. question her sincerity whether you want to or not the point is it's there it's getting normalized you know, it's, yes it kind of reminds me a little bit of you know pride we're in the middle of pride month now la pride just happened a couple mm-hmm. weekends ago and i mean i sat through the whole parade all like four and a half, five hours of it. It was long. I'm like, oh my God, so many of these companies. And the reality is, is even if you want to accuse them of only, you know, advocating for pride because they then can tap into a new financial market, like Mm -hmm. even if their motivation is profit motivated, that's okay because that means that they consider us valuable and that we matter. And it's so that means that supporting yeah. queer people is so normalized that it has a financial incentive. Let's be honest, it's the only way anything ever happens in this world yeah. is because people are financially motivated. So even if that's your justification, it's still a form of acceptance. It's and, a I'm, and I'm one. very and so, I'm very critical of like rainbow capitalism. Like yeah. I want to support queer people who are making shit and trans people who are making shit more than anything. But you know, a couple of years ago, these companies wouldn't fucking touch us, and yeah. now well, and then, and the and impact is more people see the fucking pride stuff. Yeah, that is the impact with straight people. And then even so, like. I remember for a while there were companies that got really harshly criticized because it's like, oh, you want to march in pride and yet you're still giving donations to like focus on the family and stuff like that. Yeah, that's fucked. That's fucked. So I remember a lot of companies started getting called out for like their hypocritic. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm happy that people are calling out all of these companies for pride this year. Like, fuck yeah. Like, I think that's really important because then they're going to actually maybe like do something useful for us. But it is nice to see that Absolute Vodka is not the only, you know, people that care about us. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's a whole other fucking conversation so where, oh. like, alcohol is the gathering place for the majority of LGBTQ communities across the country. I'm like, that's a whole other thing. Target now. Yes, yes, Target. I mean, and so... Target e- during Pride Month is fantastic. It's just nothing but rainbows everywhere. And I, <laughs> I know. I, bu- I bought some Target stuff. I'm like, fuck yeah, you supported trans people during the trans bathroom ban shit. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you've... You've earned your, you've earned my dollars, Target. That's exactly. And a lot of these companies just haven't yet. Yeah. You know, like you know, Chick Fil A wants to come out with a rainbow theme next year. What's gonna be like? (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Which is devastating because I love their food and and they've disappointed me so hard time and time again. But they they do not get my money. They have not for a long time. Only tried it once. I've got to admit, I wasn't super impressed by it. (sighs) So I guess I'm just lucky in that regard. I'm not like. Does this make you a bad gay too? Have we come full circle? Uh, I think so. Actually, yes, it does. You don't eat homophobic food? Yeah. Bad gay. That actually does make me a bad gay because a lot of gays know like, oh my God, like I hate to admit it, but I love Chick-fil-A. Exactly. People love yeah, Chick-fil-A. Yeah, see? Okay. So I like one other- I'm a sucker for a waffle fry. Dude, oh. I fucking love a waffle fry. Again, <laughs> devastated that they continue with this shit. Have you seen Willem and Detox's, um, they have a spoof um, music video called Chow Down at Chick-fil-A. No, and I will watch it. It's just three drag queens singing about how much they love Chick-fil-A, even though there is, it's so problematic. I <laughs> mean, fantastic. that's that's a real struggle for the gay community. Where are our gay rights for Chick-fil-A? Right. 
Gotta get our chicken sandwiches. You know what? I'm going to leave and I'm going to start a new career after this and I'm going to make the gay version of Chick-fil-A. Please do. do. Chick-fil-A? Gay? Chick-fil-A. Mm. No, no, there you go. no. It's, we're closing in on it. We're closing in on it. So like, kind of like steering us kind of towards a, a wrap up here. Yeah. So, you know, you said with the documentary, you're specifically going and looking for people who haven't seen it or have criticisms of it? Yeah, or? like, or specifically people who have seen it and, you know, dislike it. I want to hear their mm-hmm. point of view. I mean, like, I am definitely indicative of the point of view of, I love this movie. Yeah. And, you know, like, definitely when I interview the people who are involved, they're going to probably advocate for this movie, acknowledge that it was problematic in some aspects, but also acknowledge what was good about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really important to have that adverse perspective, to my opinion, because then it just becomes a, I love Chasing Amy movie. The whole thing is to examine the conflict of this. There's inherent conflict because this movie is deemed as queer erasure. And I think the way that you feel about this movie really is indicative of where you're coming from in mm-hmm. how you have experienced sexuality. I think it's really, it's like a Rorschach test, basically. Yeah. If you've seen it. <laughs> Which you should. Yeah. So, I mean, like, again, I don't want you to, like, give away too much of the documentary, but yeah. are, has you come, have you come across a certain criticism that really made you reconsider it or, like, shift your perspective a little bit on the movie? I fully acknowledge what people hate about the movie. Mm-hmm. Um I, it does not change my experience with it, though I think multiple things can be true at once. Yeah. If somebody saw this movie in 1997 and was like, this made straight people around me treat me worse mm-hmm. as a lesbian or as a bisexual woman, yeah. that is fully valid. Yeah. I will not argue that. That is your experience, and that is a perfectly valid critique of it. Hmm. My, my, uh, you know, my whole thing is multiple things can be true at once. This what, movie could what have a really crazy notion. You can I hold know. two contrasting ideas at the same time. I oh know. my god! It's like someone's seen Inside Out. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the best Diane Lane movie? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, no. But I mean, that's like a big thing. Is like, like I don't think anything will will change my mind about how I feel about Chasing Amy. Okay. Um, just because of my experiences with it. I'm too, I'm too, in too deep, man. Like, no, I understand. You know, it's, it's not like a flat earther thing where it's like, I can never be, sw- <laughs> but it's like, you know, maybe I'll hear, maybe somebody will tell me an incident where like this movie incited violence against them. And that is horrible. Yeah. You know, but, I've, but, I've always found like the, those contrasting opinions though never change my opinion. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that movie made you feel something that like no one's opinion on how terrible or bad or how it made them feel is going to affect your viewing of it. No, not at all. Because you can't experience it through there. Yeah. Totally. And, and, and so much builds up to that. How media affects us is so personal, but what I hope the movie will do will, you know, inspire some kind of dialogue, you know, Mm -hmm. whether people rewatch Chasing Amy or not, whether people watch it for the first time or not. I'm hoping it uh, spurs a Blu-ray edition on Criterion because oh, Criterion! I, yeah. I have not bought it yet because I <laughs> I'm like waiting. <laughs> Hold it up for the Blu-ray. I don't think Criterion's going to take the Blu-ray, but I mean, like maybe, maybe, maybe Chasing Chasing Amy will be so wildly successful they do another fucking print of it. That maybe. would be great. I mean, it's already working. Got me to watch it. <laughs> right? I, I never. Really this moved this on was Kevin's it. plan all along. It's right. like some <laughs> some fucking we need material for the Criterion <laughs> edition. Some fucking nerd from Kansas is going to see this movie and give this movie an additional 20 year uh, shelf life right. I mean, <laughs> a long long game here I mean I have seen crazier special features on Criterion yes editions <laughs> I mean my dream is to do like a director's commentary of or like some kind of commentary yeah. of Chasing Amy with Kevin 
Oh my god, that would be amazing. Where we just great. dissect the film together as yeah. probably like the foremost chasing Amy. His I'm going to say I'm the foremost chasing Amy historian that there is. Yeah. Who was not involved with the making I of think it's it? Very valid. And then Kevin, and then we're just talking about all of this throughout the whole thing. Yeah. You know, but that's like a five-hour conversation because between me and Kevin, you, we could be there all day. Oh, he yeah, he's a he's a he's talker. A, he's a big talker. Yeah, I've gone to see his panels at Comic Con a few times. Ooh. And then I was actually lucky enough to be a PA on uh, a show that interviewed him. And oh, cool. I was, I wasn't able to be in the room, but I was listening in because I was supposed to be taking notes. And when he was just, I was telling Jonathan before the podcast, like he just was there standing for three hours, just giving us answers left and right. And I was typing fiercely trying to keep up with him. But I mean, he has so much to say and he's so insightful mm -hmm. and just like so raw and so funny. And, but also very like crisp and clear and eloquent. I was like, mm -hmm. This man is incredible. And it's amazing how long he talks and how it's never boring. Oh my God. No, he's so animated. like, he can talk for 20 minutes. And every new, everything he says is new information. It's relevant to the story mm -hmm. and it's as tight as the story can be somehow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's amazing. There, I think there's only a handful of people that deserve to have their own dedicated like stage presentation at Comic-Con. It's like him, John Barrowman. Mm -hmm. I think that's it actually. Well, the show on AMC was pretty good too. Comic I, Book Man? Yeah. Yeah. I caught like one or two episodes because they were, I think they were after Walking Dead or something. Um, and that I, sounds right. I just like left it on one day and I got kind of caught up in it. Yeah. So I don't, here's the thing. I've seen like most of Kevin's movies. Mm -hmm. I don't know everything about Kevin Smith. I think people just assume oh, yeah. that I'm like a Kevin Smith diehard, but really I'm a chasing Amy like fan. And the reason that I'm even in this fucking position is because I've had to defend the movie for so many years mm -hmm. to queer people. Yeah. Um, and that is how this whole fucking thing started was like, people were like, that's a stupid movie. You know, it's homophobic. And I'm just like, no, actually, you know, doing the whole Holton thing. No, yeah. actually. Um, so, uh, you no, know, I mean, but I, I don't know everything about Kevin. Right. This is your expertise, this movie. And I'm, I'm genuinely so glad that you're doing this because, like I said, I had never really thought to sit down and watch this, especially in regards to learning how to be a better gay. Like, I had kind of heard dismissive things. And it's, I was proven so wrong watching it. That yeah. it's it, like, again, I, I kind of went in with not low expectations, but I wasn't sure what to expect and just again, hunting for problematic things. And every time I thought I'd found one, it like, it's like, nope, hang on. We've already addressed this. We know what we're talking about. We're going to resolve it. It's great. And you know, the, the only kind of like sort of sticking point for me is I wasn't sure how to feel about Hooper because his, yeah. his introductory scene is so extreme. Yeah. And I'm also like, I have no reason to speak on like the gay black experience. Yeah. So I text my friend who does. Yeah. <laughs> Our friend CJ who's been on before. And so I was asking like, what do you think about this character? And so I'm, I'm going to read, if you don't mind, what he sent back to me. Please. Said, uh, you know, there is something to be said about showing the hardship and complexity that is being a successful black person in the arts. Uh, Hooper simultaneously plays off of America's fear of black men while immediately critiquing it. He states that he's only doing it for business and has shown code switching, even among black fans, because while Americans may fear black men, the black community also marginalizes homosexuals. Mm-hmm. It's understandable that his character would be seen as racist, especially considering the writer and majority of cast is white. But I would argue he, like this movie, is a precursor to complex, layered queer characters of color. Uh, the use of the word faggot is a reflection of the times and a testament that minorities have to endure microaggressions, even from those they consider loved ones. Uh, Hooper X would be written differently today for audiences, but his story is sadly true to life for some black queer men. I find that, I mean, I'm not black. Um, but you know, from conversations I've had with, uh, you know, specifically, uh, black, uh, people over the years, specifically mm -hmm. black men, black gay men, they find it to be very authentic. Yeah. And I think 
that it's super fucking valid. And I think it's amazing that kind of, I think Kevin was really onto something yeah. that I don't think a lot of queer films for the times were talking about. No, I mean, that's specifically what reached out to, to CJ was because like it, something about it felt inauthentic to me. And I think because I don't have that experience. And again, just given that yeah. it was written by a white man, I wasn't sure. And so yeah. to hear that it is really authentic really made me love that movie that much more. Yeah. That, you know, he found a way to express all those characters so authentically. And just yeah. that it means that there are so many people that, like you said, that the character you identify with the most yeah. is Alyssa. And that there's someone else out there who has that same experience for one of those other characters. Yeah. It's just... Uh... I think it's excellent queer representation. I, I, you know, it's fine if people don't love it. Taste is subjective. Yeah. But I do object to the idea that the movie is inherently homophobic because I think for a movie like this, certainly it's in the eye of the beholder. It's yeah. in the eye of the person whose experience, you know, the, the level of experience that you have coming into it mm -hmm. or where you at, you're at in your life. I think that matters in the way that what you take away from this movie yeah. and i don't think it's object i don't think it's objectively homophobic um at all i think no. it really portrays queer characters in a beautiful complex way yeah that you know i sometimes i watch whatever queer film is on netflix and i'm like there is not that much depth nope. by these queer filmmakers who are making yeah. it you know like, I think Kevin did a really fucking good job. And I think Kevin was also in a position to make a really good movie because he was, this was his third film. Mm -hmm. He was already a critical darling at that point um, with Clerks. You know, uh, this was his second movie that he premiered at Sundance. Oh my God. And, uh, you know, he had a lot going for him and he had a lot more institutional support than a lot of these queer filmmakers making those films. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, you know, there's a level of privilege. from queer film filmmakers. Yeah. I mean, and there's a level of privilege there because he's already Kevin Smith. He's already, yeah. he's already fucked up, you know, whatever he's going to fuck up, you know, on his first <laughs> film. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, his first film, you know, never made fucking anything before as a critical darling at Sundance, you know? It is a fairy tale story. And, you know, there is something to be said of, you know, Kevin Smith had, you know, institutional support that queer filmmakers at the time didn't. Mm -hmm. That is a very valid conversation I want to talk about in the movie. Yeah. But I don't think it's inherently wrong that Kevin told the story because no. he did it with such nuance and depth and understanding and compassion, especially for somebody that's not a part of our community. Yeah. I, and I like that he even kind of acknowledges in the movie that, you know, the Holden even says, I want to do something more personal. I want a more personal story to tell. I'm more than just writing dick jokes. Mm -hmm. And this movie is proof that so is Kevin Smith. Yeah. yeah. Like if you've only seen maybe like Clerks 2 or something, maybe one of his like lighter movies, you should definitely go watch this and you're like, oh no, there's a lot of real pathos and depth yeah. to his stories. Look at this, look at Red State, look at Dogma. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think those are his arguably like three best movies. Yeah. Um, along with Clerks, obviously, but like, you know, you know, it's hit or miss with clerks. I mean, it's personal in that that was Kevin's life. Yeah. But I mean, I think chasing Amy dogma and red state really have something to say. And it's, they all approach it very differently thematically and they're executed very well in my opinion. And I think he has even said that those are the movies that he loves the most of his own. Yeah. I work. mean, I mean, that, those are the ones where people, you know, call him a real filmmaker. You know, he's very yeah. self-deprecating and he's also very self-aware. He knows how people feel about his work. And, um, you know, not that I speak for Kevin, but I mean, this is just my observations of him as a person, mm -hmm. you know, with all of the ways he broadcasts his opinions and just talking to him very briefly. Um, he, you know, he's very self-aware and he knows what people think about him. And yeah. he also knows that there are elements to Chasing Amy that are perhaps problematic. And, but he, it also doesn't take away from the fact that this is a really personal story for him that he loves. Mm -hmm. 
you know, multiple things being true at once. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what a crazy idea. I, I mean, you've, you and the movie have made like a total convert out of me. I'll be flying the chasing Amy is a great queer film flag for the rest of my life. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So, I do have a super hard hitting question for you though. Please. Are you still a giant Ben Affleck fan? <sighs> oh, that is a good question. I, so the nineties Affleck that I fell in love with, mm-hmm. The guy who's Chucky and Goodwill Hunting, Holden chasing Amy, Ned in Shakespeare in Love. I love that Ben Affleck. I also yeah. love him as Batfleck. I thought he was a great Batman, which mm-hmm. maybe you don't feel that way. Uh, I thought he was as close to being like the detective Batman that we deserve. Yeah. He was actually like really intelligent and it wasn't just like visceral anger at all times. No, surprisingly. I, I would agree with that. I will always defend his portrayal of Batman in Batman versus Superman. Even if the way it's written isn't great, I think he's doing something really good and I was yes. excited to see more and I was actually disappointed when he just clearly had lost his, his Thank faith you. by the time he got to Justice League. Thank you. Yeah. That is how I feel about him. I'm glad I'm not as diehard of a Batman fan as you are. Um, I'm actually a really big Daredevil fan because I saw the movie in yeah, theaters. Yeah, he's good in that too. Yeah. He's, he's a great Matt Murdock. Have you seen the director's cut with more LL Cool J? Or oh. no, uh, Coolio. Yes. Cool J. I have the uh, fucking cut. course yeah. I have. I own the director's cut and the regular cut. Yeah. Like, any ben, like I'm crazy about three Ben Affleck I'm films. I'm a huge fan of both those superheroes. Amazing. I am fan. I'm so I'm a I'm a fan of really three Ben Affleck films like okay. very hard. Chasing Amy, mm-hmm. Daredevil, yeah. Gone Girl. Oh yes, I Good fucking call. love Gone Girl, and it's not film. even because of him necessarily. Yeah, Rosamund Pike's performance, <sighs> David Fincher's directing, Gillian Flynn's writing. I mean, it's just a perfect storm of it's excellence. Yeah, that is an excellent film. You've read the book. No, I've been saving it. Okay, so I'm doing this. So I'm doing this podcast called the Give Me a Gone Girl Blu-ray podcast, okay. where I try to set a world record for owning the most number of Gone Girl Blu-rays. <laughs> what? How is that? How, did, how is that okay. a podcast? Yeah, uh, it's gonna happen soon. Okay. Um, and so I ha- I'm waiting to read the book for the podcast. Okay, where it's like I'm gonna update you each week on. <laughs> How it's going reading Gone Girl. So I'll just like do my chapter review yeah. um, as like a segment each time. But it, it's mostly an interview podcast. I love it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm saving it for that. But I have one Gone Girl Blu-ray. You're welcome to contribute to the collection. Um, and we're going to set a world record together, guys. We're going to um, do it. We're yeah. going to fucking do it. No, but okay. Back to your question of how I feel about Ben Affleck currently. I think the stuff he did with like the Me Too stuff with like the groping, super fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he apologized for it. And, you know, he's contributing all the funds for every Harvey Weinstein movies ever made like all the royalties that he gets now he's contributing those to rain and uh film independent Mm -hmm. kevin is doing the same with women in film i think that's a pretty fucking rad move i don't know how you can apologize more he did a fucked up thing he did not do it to me i fully recognize that as a fucked up thing that he has to you know um apologize to those specific people for I hope that he has been able to make amends and maybe make their life a little better after, you know, taking something away from them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really glad he's not like a fucking serial rapist. Um, I don't think that we can necessarily hold those to the same standards, but it's wrong regardless of what you're doing. If you're like touching people without their consent and all that shit. So I do not approve of any of that. I still have a place in my heart for him and I'm really grateful that he shared my Ted talk and my 12-year-old self oh, fucking loves him still. Yeah. He shared my TED Talk and was super Aww. nice about it. Um, but, I mean, I think people are also more than necessary. I think most people are more than the worst thing that they've ever done. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a complicated thing. But you know, I also love the movie The Accountant that he was in. Um, I thought oh, that, that was great. Like that. that one was underrated. I really things. like that yeah, one. Yeah. Like it. he and Anna Kendrick were like a really good on screen team. Mm-hmm. I would love to see a sequel to that. I thought, you know, it was a, a good action movie. Yeah. I heard that, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I love I love when he when he's really back in those roots of 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 like really authentic performing. Yeah. You know, like I thought Bat- I thought he was great in Batman. I thought he was great in Gone Girl. Really love the accountant. Like mm-hmm. those are my favorite like recent movies he's done. Um, but you know, uh, regardless of what he does, it can't take away my deep love of right. what he gave to me by being me being a fan of him as a child. Even that crazy what is it Phoenix tattoo on his back? <laughs> okay, uh, so when you see the movie, I I don't know. A question I want to ask him at the end of our interview is, yeah. can I see your Phoenix tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> And, and if he's a good sport, maybe he'll show it to us. Yeah. Um, but I'll be quite jealous, actually. Yes. So. In, in my dreams, I'll have a bit prepared where I also have the Phoenix tattoo on my oh back. Oh my God. Where like yes. I have like a shirt like on. Yeah. Like I'll like take my jacket off and it's just his Phoenix tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> that is my dream scenario. Live for the bit. Yeah. yeah. That's no, I mean, Chris's Chris's motto. Yeah. So, I mean, you see the TED talk, it's like, it's like comedic, it's sad, it's comedic, yeah, it's sad. It's very funny, too. Thank you. Thank you. So, that's kind of the tone that we're going for yeah. with the documentary because I'm in it, unfortunately, but I have to be. Um, I'm not comfortable like being on camera. Mm-hmm. I love talking to people. I am not like a fan of the camera. I'm not even like a fan of like. You seem very relaxed on your TED talk. Yeah. That is so fun because I, if you rewatch it, I've got like this nervous rash going up my fucking chest to my face. I only, I only no. sort of noticed you getting more nervous the more personal it got. Totally. And that's really where it is. When I'm telling jokes, it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm like, oh, fucking Ben Affleck, like, whatever. Exactly. Um, oh, we're masking our personality with humor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but the more person, I mean, it's it was it was raw to give it, and I feel yeah. so much lighter having done it. But, I mean, so I'm in the movie, mm-hmm. you know, as a consequence of, the, so as a consequence of that, the whole, um, <laughs> the whole movie relies on you liking my personality and the way that I'm telling the story. So hopefully it, uh, it vibes with people. Well, I mean, I, Having only known you for like I don't know a little over an hour or so, I can say <laughs> that you are very fun and you have a great presence. Thank like you. I, I kind of immediately fell in love with you based on your TED talk because it was like so sweet and so sincere and so funny. And you are all of those things also in person. And so I'm Thank so you. so excited to see the full documentary. Uh, do you have like a rough idea of when we'll be able to see it? My my sincerest hope is that 2021 is when it hits the festival circuit. Okay. So it'll be a little bit, but uh, I'm keeping people updated with like behind the scenes stuff on like my Patreon. I tweet mm-hmm. a lot about it, you know, keeping people involved. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a process. It's going to be a process. Oh, yeah. But, you know, the Internet kind of helped me get this movie made. So I would like to give back to the Internet by, uh, you know, keeping you updated as much as possible, because apparently there are people that give a shit about this. So yes. it's nice. <laughs> it's all I mean, about the niche market now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God, when I set out to make this movie, I'm like, five people are going to watch it, but I'm going to be really happy with it. And then the TED talk happened. I was like, oh, a lot more people care about this than I thought. Yeah. Well, I think crazy. They, they care about it because you care about it. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that's why I'm in the documentaries. Mm-hmm. I'm the catalyst for people to give a shit because yeah. I give a shit so passionately. And they're, you know, my, my goal is like by the end of the movie, you're like, why am I crying about this nerd loving chasing Amy? Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, so where can people find you online to kind of keep getting updated to help yeah. support it? Um, so my website is savannahrogers.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at savannahrogers. Um, 
My Twitter is at Snackpack, S-N-A-C-P-A-C-K, if you're typing it in right now. Well, where, and I have to ask, where does that come from? It's a, it's private. Thank you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, all right, all right. All right. You don't have an answer. I know. I, I don't have an answer. I was like, this is cool. I like it. Um, no. And then uh, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Savannah Rogers. Uh, any BTS stuff will be on there before the movie comes out. Okay. Just because I, I don't want to, I don't want to release it to the public too much. No. Yeah. But if you're giving me money, I feel like I should show you. No. I'll, probably <laughs> something. And I, I'll, uh, I'll put all those down in the show notes. Can, Thank you. Can go you. and find that. So, cause it has been such such a delight talking yes, thank to you, you. For coming on. Uh, like this came thank out in both. the most random way possible um yeah our kind of mutual internet friend maddie washburn yes uh was basically like you know he i know him basically through batman the batman podcast he listened to gay of four and it's like oh my god you got to do an episode with with sav about chasing amy i'm like okay yeah you, you, you <laughs> messaged me immediately like yes let's make this happen like oh this is amazing this is awesome yes and i'm so excited that it came together so. i'm such a fan i'm excited to go back and listen to episodes of the podcast now that i've like met you two like oh, well, thank you i was gonna listen as prep and i was like i think it'd be a lot more fun if i did zero prep for this um, <laughs> yeah it's kind of fun to go in it's like oh just discover it as we go yeah just, just go in entirely blind <laughs> yeah. I, i'm the the overly obsessive nerdy person who yeah. like watched the movie took thorough notes and then watched i mean that's definitely took notes that's definitely so. necessary though for this interview to work because if like you were like if none of us prepared to be like what the fuck yeah. <laughs> exactly just over prepare that's my motto then i love it, it. Bit. so but no thank you so much for being here it's been an absolute delight and uh everyone go watch chasing amy and then go follow sav on all the platforms so you can get updates on the documentary. It's going to be all amazing. And watch my TED Talk. Yes, and watch the TED Talk. That'll also be down in the show I'm notes, too. I'm a little too. bit envious. You can actually go to parties and be like, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I, it's before the show ends, uh, when I came back from New York to like come home for the holidays, the mm -hmm. first thing that my parents gave me when I got to the house before any Christmas stuff was a t-shirt that said, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Oh, <laughs> my God. And I that wear it. Amazing. And I wear it in LA, and it's just free advertising because people oh. are like, do you have a TED Talk? And I'm like, oh, I guess That's I do. Thank you for asking so that's, okay, <laughs> best parent moment ever. Yes, that's amazing. Mom, yes. I want a TED talk for Christmas. I know you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Go record one first. Amazing.